happy to see you here. Welcome to Emmaus Church Community. Raise your hand if you like a Bible and we'll hand one to you. We'll be for one more week in a little book towards the end of the Bible called James. I want to say, um, also, if there's a basket underneath your seat, because you're seated near an aisle, would you grab the basket and hand it down? And if you'd like to hand off contact information this morning or share a prayer request or something, you can fill out a card that's in these baskets and we'll pick them up um, a little bit later in the morning. Happy Mother's Day. Grateful for all of you moms, the hard work that you do, the impact that you're making on kids. Pray that your day is fantastic and that you feel supported. I'm also uh, very aware every year of the, the reality of the disappointment and the pain and the grief that sometimes accompanies Mother's Day. And so know that we are also praying for those of you who are uh, facing loss for the first time this year or continuing to struggle with um, the challenges associated with the day. Uh, God bless you. I hope that you're encouraged and challenged this morning. Today, this is a word for moms of two-year-olds this morning uh, who spent a lot of time getting ready this morning only to spend most of the time walking out on the sidewalk as I teach, uh, trying to participate in worship um, while taking care of like four or five needs of somebody else. Um, this is a, a word for those who've been looking for jobs for a long time, uh, who are starting to wonder if prayer really works, if God really knows what's happening, if he cares, if there's really any kind of payoff to hard work and a strong resume. This is a word for those who are sick, who have been recovering for a long time. It's taking longer than you thought it would, and your, your abilities are limited, and uh, what you can do is, is no longer what you used to be able to do, and you're starting to wonder if uh, you feel like even fighting anymore. This morning is a word for teachers who are just almost done, right? Just really have been working hard and are continually challenged with the needs of students that go so far beyond reading and writing and you're just challenged with a whole host of responsibilities and wondering if you really can stand it another day and are trying to care like you want to care. Um, but here in the last few weeks when it gets really difficult. And, and this is a word for couples, this is a word for couples who are struggling to be a couple, struggling to make it work, questioning their future as a couple. Here's the word. Persevere, friends. Persevere. Endure. Don't quit. You're going to make it. Press on. Keep going. Stand strong. Today is for you. Today, this is a message for you. I essentially want to do two things this morning. I want to remind us of the call to persevere in our faith. And then secondly, I want to press in on the real practical and talk about a few ways that that call to persevere can make a practical difference in our, in our regular life. We spent the last month or so reading and teaching from a letter at the end of the Bible by Jesus' little brother, James. It's a general letter. It's written to the whole church, to all Christians, not just to certain Christians in a certain church in a certain city like some of Paul's uh, letters. It was seen, especially in the first few centuries, as a manual for spiritual warfare. It's a collection of practical wisdom, really specific instructions for Christians who are facing hard times. That's why James wrote this letter. For followers of Jesus who are thinking, maybe I shouldn't follow him anymore. Because I've been following him with certain expectations. The adversity that I'm facing is more intense than I thought it would be. And I'm considering kind of changing paces or changing gears there. James addresses a whole bunch of issues in this really condensed, short letter. But if you were to pull back and identify a central theme, kind of a core word of instruction from James's letter, um, 
that it would, it would, his word of instruction for people who are believing in Jesus, but also really facing challenges, it would be this, it would be persevere. That would be the central idea. Persevere, persevere, keep going, don't quit. Perseverance is the theme that, that James weaves all through this letter. And it might not be a word, perseverance, it might not be a word that you used this last week. Uh, I don't hear it being talked about too much It's a patient enduring, that's what it is. It's a patient enduring. And James is gonna weave it through his whole letter. Here's how he begins his letter. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. This is right out of the gate. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, did you hear that? Consider it joy when you face trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So trials for James are good. Trials, in James's perspective, are good. Why are they good? Because they produce something that nothing else does produce, and that is perseverance. And perseverance is what it takes, according to James, in order to mature. Okay, I'll come back to that in a second. Next he says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised for those who love him. So it's not just maturity that results from perseverance. If it were just maturity that results from perseverance, most of us would choose just not to grow up because we would say it's just not worth the payoff, right? But some of us are choosing to not grow up, actually. But James says that those who persevere through their trials are the ones who live. Those who persevere are the ones who position themselves to receive the gift of salvation. And here he echoes the words of his big brother Jesus who says in Matthew's gospel, the one who stands firm to the end is the one who will be saved. So that's the beginning of James, a little bit later in James. And then at the very end of James, he swings back into this theme of perseverance again. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits For the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. You grumble when you're not patient anymore. When you're tired, you need food, right? We're tired of being in this waiting period. So it's really practical advice here. Hey, wait, be patient, don't grumble. If you grumble, you're going to be judged. The judge is standing at the door, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience. In the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, as in many converts, right? Persevere. Take the prophets as an example. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. He said, you've heard of Job's perseverance. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about just a passing reference to this famous character in ancient biblical writing who just endures all kinds of brokenness and loss, but will not let go of God, will not quit, and then is given all kinds of, well, he says, compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Okay, so perseverance is a major theme in the practical instruction of Christians. We don't hear about it so much today, I don't think, which is really interesting. But to persevere is to endure, it's to make it through. And from a spiritual perspective, it specifically is referring to making it through a hard time with your faith intact. 
not allowing the trial to blow out your faith in Christ. The old word is constancy, which is really an interesting word. Constancy. We actually pray this every Sunday for ourselves as part of our communion prayer. We pray that God would set apart the bread and the cup, and then we pray and sanctify us also, that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and then serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. We are praying every Sunday for our own perseverance that we won't give up. We have to pray for that every Sunday. We actually believe that it is critical that we pray because the challenge is so intense, the temptations are so real. We need to pray for our own perseverance through the trials that we face. If you're not praying for perseverance in the face of trials, you are, um, you're thinking too highly about your own ability to, to persevere without the, the anointing and the gift of the Holy Spirit's power. The Greek word translates as this. Perseverance is the characteristic of a man or a woman who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to his faith and piety, even by the greatest trials and sufferings. Unswerved by the greatest trials and sufferings. We're in like getting ready for drive mode. My daughter's 15. I uh, spent a lot of time in a car with Madeline Henning, driving her to school. She's getting her driver's license. I say, listen, something jumps out in front of your car, you just blow through it, right? You just knock that raccoon into the next life. Don't swerve, right? Don't swerve. I don't care if it's a big, beautiful Bambi. Just knock it down, right? Don't swerve. Right? <laughs> this is what I'm saying here. Don't swerve. Stay faithful to your piety, to your faith, in the face of trials and suffering. It was not in the notes. It just felt like you needed to wake up a little bit. <laughs> we don't hear about it much today. We don't hear about it much today because our culture doesn't talk about perseverance outside of athletic contexts. If we are not happy, that's reason to move on in our culture. So we don't hear about persevere. We hear about, are you not happy? Make a change. That's what we hear about. But it's a huge theme in early Christianity. It's constantly showing up in the Bible. It'll make you really uncomfortable if you're not willing to just sort of face this. Paul to, Tim to Timothy, pursue endurance, he says to, to this young preacher. Pursue endurance. In other words, he would say, don't be a sprinter, Timothy. Be a distance runner. You need to learn how to do this over the long haul. He says this to Titus, another young preacher. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. The old guys got to endure, Timothy or Titus. Teach them that. The writer of Hebrews says you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Writer of Hebrews continues, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Don't let anything hold you back, right? And one of the most common um, words of instruction or judgment given by Jesus to the churches that are judged in the book of Revelation is this. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. It's everywhere, guys. It's everywhere. It's a major theme in scripture. And I almost feel like we haven't done a, um, a good enough job revealing how important this message is. 
few years ago, a few guys from Emmaus went backpacking into the desolation wilderness. I didn't go, but I got to hear their stories when they came back. And one of my favorite stories that they told um, was, was from a guy, I don't know if he's here today, but one of the guys on the trip was, it was his first time in a multi-day backpacking trip. And so the beginning of this, the first day of this hike is just straight up the mountain, just climbing up the mountain. And the best story was when they said that this guy, okay, it's James, it's James Hopkins, is like amazingly fit, totally athletic, younger than all of them guy. And he says to them, he asks the question, you know what the question is, right? How much farther? Right. Are we there yet? How much farther? Right. And, um, and what was funny was, so they say, oh, we're not even halfway there. And the funny part of the story was watching these guys try to impersonate James's face when he goes from thinking, oh, I'm, I'm almost there, to realizing, oh, I'm not even halfway up, right? And it was just so hilarious, right? Watching them sort of explain this realization. You may not even realize it. But if you're a Christian, you've signed up for a very, 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 very long journey with Jesus. And you probably know this at one level. You know this, but it's almost like we forget or maybe we just don't realize what it actually means for us to stay faithful to Jesus and to hold on to our faith. Every time I baptize somebody, I ask them three questions. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe Jesus saves you? And the third question, with the help of God, will you promise to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? And everybody says yes. And everybody, I think, means it. It's no secret that we're going the long haul, but you should see the looks in our faces when we realize that we're not even close to being done. We got a whole long way left to go. You should see the looks in our faces when we realize just how hard that's gonna be for us to actually stay faithful to Jesus through that part of our life. You should see the looks in our faces when things start to really get hard. We just don't hear a lot in our culture about finishing. But everything in our faith is about finishing. Finishing the race. We're called to persevere, and we're called to persevere, persevere specifically spiritually. I think what our culture does understand is perseverance or endurance within the context of athleticism. So let's go ahead and grab that athleticism metaphor and see if we can use it. What the early Christians are saying is basically this. Christianity is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's not a cartwheel. This is a long, long, long distance run. It requires perseverance. It requires endurance. You're going to need some constancy, plan to be out there for a long time, plan to get refueled along the way. This is not something you can just decide you're going to do tomorrow. This is going to take some effort and some planning. We're called to persevere in our faith. We're called to persevere in our commitment to loving God and to loving people. Why is this, do you think? Why is perseverance such a big deal in the Christian faith? I think there's probably all kinds of reasons, but one that I just hold up this morning is that the truth comes out in the long run. The truth comes out in the long run. If you remove perseverance from Christianity, you basically get the equivalent of a spiritual cartwheel. That, that's all that you really have left. Kind of like, hey, watch me do this. Car oh, that's cute. That was really, that's kind of fun. Your whole world turned upside down. For what? Like 
two seconds. I mean, nothing really changed because all that was was just a little cartwheel. Perseverance is what separates amusement from legacy. That's the difference. I've been to funerals, and you probably have too, where everybody's just telling stories about various amusements, funny things, cute stories, and the funeral ends up feeling like you're wandering through a carnival. And I've also been to funerals where person after person declares a strong and consistent theme of love and faithfulness, example after example after example of consistency, of constancy, and it feels like this symphony of legacy. The symphony of celebrating a life of perseverance, somebody who stood for something and pushed on to the end and finished with the same message. It's not about, it's not about uh, perfection, but perseverance is what positions you to make a significant impact. That's what positions you for that. It's the difference between a teacher who can give a really great 40-minute talk and a teacher who can do a really great 40-year career. It's, it's the perseverance that positions you to be remembered as somebody who's making a lasting difference. It's not about your talent. It's not about your achievements. It's not about uh, being perfect. But it is about the truth, and the truth comes out in the long run. So we, like all Christians in all times, are called to persevere in our faith to respond to the unconditional love, to respond to the sustaining grace of God by receiving it every single day for the rest of our lives, acknowledging I need this in order to be faithful to you. This is what we're called to, friends. But I don't just want this message to be a reiteration of this call. I, in other words, I don't just want to say persevere, endure, don't give up. I want to say that, but I want to say something in addition to that because I want to press this into the practical. My, my kids are both running track for their schools right now, and so we're going to track meets. And, and what I don't want is to be the coach on the side of the track saying, run! <laughs> They're running, man. They're running. They, like, tell them something helpful. Right, I coach baseball. I'm coaching my six-year-old in baseball. I don't want to be the coach who's like, hit the ball! They're trying to hit the ball. You're yelling, hit the ball louder is not going to help them. Break it down, right? Tell them what to do with their hands. Tell them what to do with their feet. Talk to them about it in a practical, don't you, maybe run. Maybe that encourages some of us a little bit. But tell me how, tell me where that needs to show up in a practical way. I hope that this will, will push us in that direction. So in an effort to make the critical call to persevere helpful and actionable, let me touch on three areas of our life really quickly where, that I believe that perseverance needs to make a practical impact. Number one, the call to persevere. It needs to affect the way we enter into and approach worship. If, if, if you're in this for the long haul, uh, then, then you need to be involved in regular and consistent worship. It's critical. Uh, this was critical for the first century church where the writer of the Hebrew letter says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's also critical for us today. I'm called to persevere in my faith. Therefore, I must engage in regular, consistent worship with my community. To fail to do so is like training for a marathon by running whenever I feel like it, and thinking that that's actually going to help me accomplish my goal. It won't. I'll end up quitting the race. 
because I won't have engaged in the process that enables me to become a person that can sustain this life of devotion for the rest of my life. Additionally, we should enter into worship intentionally. That means we need to make a choice to enter in, to participate with our minds and our hearts and our bodies. You know, frankly, not eating donuts and sipping coffee when we're trying to call ourselves into a higher place of worship, right? Engage, it's not a show, we're not spectators. The whole thing is supposed to be a participatory effort where we engage together, where we enter in, not where we coast through. And enter into worship realizing that it's more than a feeling, to quote my favorite Boston song, right? Feelings come and it's not really about the feelings after all. It's about kind of like the training of it. It's, it's you're worshiping the Lord, which is what you were created to do. And so the process of doing, in the process of doing what you were created to do, you grow in your ability to do that more sincerely, more holistically. Actually become a worshiper. Perseverance is all about the long haul. But rather than just stand on the side of the track and scream, persevere, then let me try to be more helpful by saying one thing, enter into worship. Enter into it consistently, intentionally, not in order to be entertained, not in order to feel good, but in order to become, in order to become. I'm called to persevere, and that affects the way I approach and the way I enter into worship. A second really practical part of our life, I think that this matters. It impacts the way that we deal with hard stuff, the call to persevere. It impacts the way we, specifically, this is like the front and center part, the way we deal with challenges and difficulties. We talk about this a lot at Emmaus. We're pretty open and transparent about the challenges associated with following Jesus. In fact, we're going through a revisioning process in our church, which I'm going to roll out in the next few weeks. And we've identified five things that we think we're doing pretty well at. Other things we need to change and improve. But five things, one of the things that we think we're pretty, we, we talk pretty honestly about the authentic journey towards becoming like Christ. That it becomes all kind, it includes all kinds of challenges. In other words, um, we need to face the hard stuff. That's what, we, that's what we end up, that's kind of the theme of so much of our teaching. Don't avoid it. Why on earth would I not avoid the hard things in life? Well, because you realize that the hard times are critical in the process of becoming the person that you were created to be. The, the hard times are, that's the only way that you get stronger, is to face the hard times. You shirk the hard times, you're just always going to have more hard times. And you're not ever going to overcome. Like David, um, who says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I'll fear no evil. So it's not that you seek pain, but neither do you fear it. And when pain comes, when challenges come, and they always come, you face them. You meet them believing that Jesus is going to be with you in the pain. Why do you think so many early Christian writers are encouraging other Christians to persevere in their faith? Why is it that almost every Christian writer includes as part of their instruction, persevere? It's because they know they're going to be tested. They know they're going to be tempted to quit. To choose easy and counterfeit solutions. To be satisfied with really shallow questions and really flimsy answers. But as James writes, blessed is the one who, per who perseveres under trials. Because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In other words, it's not about winning the race. It's about finishing it. In Christianity, it's not about winning the race. It's about finishing. You, you win if you finish. Right? You win if you make it to the end. 
It's not about first or most or most dramatic or style points. It's about getting across the finish line because it's not a game and it's not a show. It's a battle. It's a real-life battle. Friends, I fully expect to leave it all on the field. I fully expect to leave it all on the field. I fully expect my last days to be my hardest days, the season right before I to be the hardest season of my life. I expect to lunge across the finish line totally spent and to fall done into the arms of Jesus, knowing more then than ever that it is only by grace that I have been saved. But I've been victorious because by his grace, I made it across the line. I finished the race. So rather than simply saying, persevere, let me also say, let me also say, face those hard things. Don't try to avoid those hard things. Enter into the storm. It's not about winning. It's about finishing. And then third and finally, my call to persevere affects the way that I interact with others on this journey. Don't forget that, that you're not doing this alone. Nobody perseveres alone. Christianity is a team sport. It's a communal religion. The writer of the Hebrews talks about this great cloud of witnesses, other followers of God who are cheering us on. This is a remarkable concept. The Apostle John talks about the great company of heaven, angels, other created beings who are somehow involved in our lives, even aiding us in spiritual battle. One of the most common reasons that people fail to persevere is because they believe that it's all about them. And we hear the call to persevere as an individual instruction for individuals when in fact it's about so much more than the individual. Uh, recently, I heard this talk by a man named Ken Kamler, who's a physician for these big adventure expeditions like climbing Mount Everest. He goes up, he's the doctor. And Ken tells a story about the deadliest day of climbing in the history of Everest. And he says at one point, over 20 climbers were lost in this blizzard, this complete whiteout from three different expeditions up on Everest. And one climber, Beck Weathers, had already been found collapsed, dead on the trail. There were several others they couldn't find. One knows he's too high to ever be able to make it down. He radios the base camp. They patch him into his wife in New Zealand. He says goodbye to her. They name their unborn child, and they never even see this guy again. After more than two days of this ordeal, Ken says this. He says, out of nowhere, Beck Weathers, who we had already been told was dead, stumbled into the tent just like a mummy. He walked into the tent. I expected him to be incoherent, but in fact, he walked into the tent and he said to me, hi, Ken, where should I sit? And then next he says, do you take my insurance? He said he actually said that. So he says, as I was taking care of Beck, he related what had gone on up there on the mountain. He said he'd gotten lost in the storm. He'd collapsed in the snow. He just laid there, unable to move. Some climbers had come by and looked at him, and he heard them say he's dead. But Beck wasn't dead. He heard that, but he was completely unable to move. He was in some sort of catatonic state where he could be aware of his surroundings, but he couldn't even blink uh, to indicate that he was alive. So the climbers passed him by, and Beck lay there for the whole day, and through the night, and through the whole next day, in the snow. And then he said to himself, I don't want to die. I have a family to come back to. And the thoughts of his family, his kids and his wife, generated enough energy, enough motivation, that he actually got up 
After lying in the snow that long time, he got up and found his way back to the camp. And Beck told me this, this story very quietly, but I was, I was absolutely stunned by it. I couldn't imagine anybody laying in the snow that long a time and then getting up. He apparently had reversed an irreversible hypothermia, and I can only try to speculate on how he did it. I read this story to you, friends, simply to say this, that you're called to persevere, but you're not called to persevere only for your own sake. Most of the time when I hear this message preached, it's very individual, right? It has very much to do with your own personal salvation. Please hear me when I say that I think one of the most motivating reasons to persevere in my faith has nothing to do with me. It has to do with some of these folks that are sitting in the front row, right? Some of the main, man, if you remove from your, this, this, um, formula or this equation, the well-being and the life of others in the call to you to persevere, I think you, I think you take away one of the most motivating facts or, or facets of this call. Right. Clearly, if Beck Weather's only reason for, for surviving or for persevering was himself, he would not have made it. He pushed, what pushed him to per- persevere was his thoughts were his thoughts for his kids and, and for his wife. You and I are called to persevere, but nobody perseveres alone. We're all connected. We help one another persevere. We help each other persevere. And this is the way James ends the letter. This is his last part of the letter. He's writing to Christians, and he's encouraging them to battle alongside one another for the salvation of one another's souls. He actually says it like this. He says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and somebody should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is so much more than just saying persevere. This is James saying, have the hard conversations with one another to enable each other. It's get involved in each other's lives at a level that enables you to be a motivating factor to somebody else and enables you to be motivated by somebody else. Advocate for one another. Don't let your brother or your sister quit and don't quit on your brother or your sister. Don't let your mom quit. Don't quit on your mom. Don't let your kids quit. Don't quit on your kids. Don't let your spouse quit. Don't let your friends quit. Don't let the others in your church quit. And don't quit on them. So realize that this call to persevere, it affects the way you do all kinds of things, including the way you approach worship. Realize that this call affects the way you deal with hard things. It informs the way you deal with pain. And realize that this call impacts your relationship with others. And now... Do this. Persevere. Endure. Don't give up. Keep going. Stand. Make it another day. Press on. Let's pray together. I pray for your voice to be stronger, clearer, more powerful than the voices inside our heads, Lord, or the voices being spoken sometimes even to us by others, destructive voices that are discouraging us from, from the, the possibility of continuing. I pray that your voice would be clearer, your voice would be stronger, 
you would say, get up, keep going. You'd empower us, equip us, fuel us to persevere in our faith, even in the face of trials. God, may this church come alongside one another and help us on the way, help one another on the way. Uh, May homes and families today be centers of encouragement towards perseverance. Um, I pray, God, that you would, in real practical ways, you'd help us to come alongside people um, so that we will never give up. We will keep pressing on. In Jesus' name, amen.